We're back. We're back again. And today is an episode I've been promising for a while. So as you see in the title, it is, What is the Controversy About ABA Therapy? So first off, we're going to talk about what ABA therapy is, what the autistic community says about it, and what we can do as alternatives. And I think it's really important that parents educate themselves on this and make the most informed decision for their family. I want to say this right off the top of the episode is I am not an autistic individual, so I do not firsthand speak for the community. I have never personally gone through ABA therapy, and I'm really trying to listen and learn. And the autistic community is very vocal about this. And I also want to say that I'm going to do my best to represent their perspectives. But this is where it's super important. We need to be listening to autistic adults directly. They are going to give you the most reliable information about what their lived experience was. And that is something that they have that professionals in the field don't have. So I'm going to encourage you. Yes, the purpose of this episode is to educate you and begin to introduce you to the topic of ABA therapy and making the best decision for your child. And I'm going to encourage you to go to autistic accounts. I love TikTok and Instagram for this and really educating yourself. I'm also going to link some resources in the show notes that I share with parents at Diagnostic Feedback. And I say, listen, it's important for you to educate yourself on this topic. Here are some resources that are either written by autistic adults themselves or validated by the autistic community. This is just a basic introduction to ABA therapy and really talking about the controversy. It's not meant to be comprehensive in nature. And again, I am not intending to speak for the autistic community, but I want to give you an introduction to this so you can dive in further and make sure that you are making an informed decision. Because my stance as a provider, and I think with this idea too, that my brother went through intensive AB therapy and he doesn't have this same opinion. And so things can vary, but ultimately you need to decide what is best for your family. It's important to have informed consent when you are making decisions. And that is why I always have this conversation with parents at the diagnostic feedback session. When I'm saying, yes, it's autism and we're talking about best next steps, we're gonna have this conversation that I'm gonna have with you today. So let's dive in. I'm Dr. Tay, a licensed child psychologist and parent coach specializing in autism. I have supported hundreds of autistic children and their families and have been in the autism field for over a decade. I'm the host of Evolve, the podcast where we have real conversations that are designed for autism parents just like you. Each week, we will discuss topics that directly impact your life, from providing psychoeducation about autism and neurodiversity to talking about your personal growth, well-being, and evolution as a parent, we dive into it all. Just keep in mind, nothing shared on this podcast is clinical advice, and you should consult with a medical or mental health provider if you need support. Now let's get to talking about ABA therapy and the controversy in the field. I just gave this disclaimer of I'm not speaking for autistic adults in this or the autistic community in this. But I also am feeling this urge now to say, if your child is in ABA therapy, what I would encourage you to do is still listen to this episode, educate yourself. And you might still decide, my child's going to stay in ABA therapy, but this also might give you some ideas of how you can advocate 
in a way that really is aligned with the neurodiversity movement. And that's the thing. We have seen some of the ABA providers and therapists start to make this turn towards neurodiversity affirming care. Now, what the autistic community will say, though, is they are pretty adamant that ABA is not the right course. And so we're going to talk about why. And if you are trying to decide if ABA is right for your child, again, educating yourself on this so that you can make an informed decision. And I always talk about with parents who say, yes, I want to try ABA therapy. That is their right as a parent. And they're making decisions in the best interest of their child. And I trust that because I know as a parent, you are the expert on your child. And I do tend to work with younger children, so they aren't able to give their assent in this process. And if you're going to do this, I think there's really key elements we need to pay attention to. So the way this episode is going to break down, I'm going to introduce ABA. I'm going to talk about the controversy and what the autistic community says and what the concerns are with ABA. And then I'm also going to talk about alternative approaches, what we need to be keeping in mind, whether that's you make the decision for your child that ABA is the right path, things that you can advocate for, or what you can look for in terms of neurodiversity affirming care, because that's the thing. ABA therapy isn't the only route for your autistic child. So what is ABA therapy? I keep throwing this term out. ABA stands for Applied Behavior Analysis. And so this is a type of intervention approach or type of therapy approach that has been around for many, many decades. And over time, I will say there's been a lot of variations on this of different ways of doing it. And so the most traditional model is called discrete trial training. And so this can look where your child is sitting at a table, they're doing things like flashcards, they're using rewards, and punishment even has come in into the picture. And we'll talk about more on that in a second. Over time, we have seen this push for more naturalistic forms of ABA. As a provider, I think what we know in terms of generalization, that is much better. And we still need to be aware of these important elements that we're going to go through. But knowing that, okay, here's the thing. ABA therapy is quote-unquote well-studied. And listen to those quotes there because they will say it is an evidence-based treatment for autism. And what has happened is there was a push to get insurances to cover ABA. ABA tends to be very intensive in nature, requiring a lot of hours. So if parents were having to pay out of pocket, it was extremely expensive. And so at a federal level, they really pushed towards getting more access. And that's what we see nowadays is that insurance often is going to cover ABA therapy and things like Medicaid are going to cover ABA therapy as well. In some states, Pennsylvania, where I live, is one of them. Your child can be on Medicaid simply by the fact that they have autism. It's called the autism waiver here in Pennsylvania. And it's not based on income at that point. And that is a route for actually getting ABA therapy. So it is highly covered. And some of the challenges, there aren't a lot of autism providers. And so then what happens is parents feel like they have to do ABA therapy. And I will say there's some providers in terms of on the diagnosis side that are like, your child is diagnosed with autism, you have to do ABA therapy. And that is something you will never hear from me as a provider. Again, you get to make the decision, but we're going to talk about it all and make sure you really understand what type of decision that you are making. 
So sometimes it's forced upon families and they feel like they have no other choice. Let's talk real quick about alternatives. So speech language therapy, occupational therapy, sometimes they'll do those alongside ABA therapy, but those are great alternatives. Additionally, you could work with someone like a psychologist that is going to really be focused on more naturalistic approaches and supporting quality of life. There are different avenues besides ABA. So what are the controversies in the field? Again, I am listening to the autistic community and summarizing this information for you. The first one is that there is this idea that many autistic adults feel that aspects of ABA therapy can be harmful and that it can cause trauma. In particular, because it uses rewards and punishments to make a child seem more normal or less autistic. Examples of this are reducing or trying to eliminate stimming behaviors like flapping, like pacing, or even some of the sensory elements. You don't want your child to wear headphones because it's too loud in the environment. And so we're going to work to try to make it so they don't have to wear headphones. And it's like, no, let's just be more accepting that they need headphones to feel in a regulated state, which is, again, the neurodiversity affirming approach. But ABA historically has not used this approach. Also, things like forcing eye contact, like, look at me, and then they get an M&M. And that's this idea of rewards, too. And I find this on many different levels. This is an opinion outside of the autistic community. I find the repeated use of food rewards somewhat problematic, too, because you're shifting the child's relationship with food. And That ultimately isn't the best thing because especially in our society, as they grow up, there's a lot of pressure around food and body image. And so if we're starting from a young age that we're associating food with reward and not with hunger levels, we're starting to override the biological processes. We should be eating when we're hungry, not as a reward. Additionally, too, there can be punishments involved. So way back when, they actually were doing shock punishments, which is not something nowadays, to my knowledge, is permitted or is happening, where if the child did something that the therapist didn't like, they'd actually shock them. But there is this element of, for example, you will be coached that if your child is having a meltdown, you're going to ignore them. This is a really interesting concept, and I'm turning on my psychologist brain here for a second, because what we do know is that just humans as a whole, outside of the autism community, when we attend to a behavior, it reinforces it, and when we remove attention from a behavior, it it decreases its likelihood. So straight behavioral principles, the idea of ignoring makes sense. The challenge is it's a very invalidating experience. This is coming back to the autistic community and something I so strongly believe. We're missing the function of that behavior. Your child is having a meltdown because they are trying to communicate something with you. I want you to think of all behavior as being communicative. It might not fit our neurotypical standards, but that's on us to shift and start to understand how people can communicate differently. And some of it is if we are ignoring a tantrum, we're ignoring the attempts to communicate. So it's making your child actually less likely to attempt to communicate in the future. We also are invalidating their emotions, saying it's not important. And we're missing their needs. We're not able to meet their needs. And so this can be particularly problematic. I'm going to share a personal example. So 
My brother went through ABA therapy for two years from basically two to four years of age. And when he first started, he had huge meltdowns. He would tantrum, I'm not kidding you, or have a meltdown for two plus hours, which is, it was so exhausting. I remember just like my parents being like, oh my gosh. And I will say they used the ignore method. That's what they were taught. And it's interesting to think about. The psychologist in me doesn't love that. Seriously, for two hours, they would ignore my brother. And then as soon as he stopped tantruming, they would reinforce it. Now, did the behavior reduce over time? Yeah, it was effective, but it was incredibly invalidating and so distressing for our family. So we talk about the whole family approach, and that's the way that I come at supporting autistic children and their families. Not only is that exhausting and dysregulating for the parents, as a sibling, I was like, what the hell is going on? Also, if he's screaming, you can't pay attention to me fully and I might have needs too. I was a kid as well. That can be really problematic. So that's the idea of punishment too, is that either full-blown ignoring or removing something until they quote unquote calm down. And I kind of hit on some of the other pieces, but how this idea of ignoring is very invalidating. We also just are missing the boat of understanding your autistic child when we're doing this. I'm not going to go there yet, what we do instead. I mean, I've kind of hinted at it throughout because I can't help but insert my opinion on this topic as a provider because this is stuff that I'm working on day in and day out and educating myself, but I don't have that lived experience either. And that's the thing. Autistic adults that went through ABA therapy are coming out and saying that it was highly traumatic. And it's interesting. I've had a conversation with my brother. He remembers explicitly potty training. And if he would go in his like underwear, it would be like, no, bad. And I remember coming home and like they'd be in our one like half bathroom on the main floor and just him screaming. And he just sat on the toilet the whole time. I was like, this is not functional. At the time, I just was like, what is going on? But now again, as a provider, I'm like, why would he just sit on the toilet this whole time? That is not naturalistic whatsoever. And it's going to make generalization of skills super hard as well. But he remembers that. And he's like, yeah, that wasn't fun. He doesn't label it as trauma, although I have never asked him that. But it was aversive at a minimal to him. It's salient because it's this negative experience. So. Yeah, but a lot of autistic adults are saying it truly was traumatic and they're going to therapy now to heal from some of this. Again, we think about it from this sense is if you are invalidating someone's communication bids and their behaviors and saying, no, you cannot tantrum. I'm going to ignore you. I'm going to withdraw all attention. What you are teaching them is emotional suppression. That's not ideal. There's so many problems with emotional suppression. We know that emotional suppression, for example, leads to higher rates of anxiety and depression. The other thing, too, in all of this, and this is what the autistic community says, is it's concerning because if we are trying to make the child, quote unquote, less autistic or more normal, there's inherent tendencies and inherent ways their brain thinks. We're not making those go away. We simply are just teaching social masking of saying, you're allowed to do this here. You're not allowed to do this here. And we're also teaching, hey, you're not accepted here. You got to look like this in order to be accepted. And so social masking, it's an attempt to seem normal or hide autistic traits. And here's the thing we know is it can lead to low self-esteem and poor mental health. And so we see social masking happen a lot at school. And some of this just happens, 
I don't want to say the word naturally, maybe organically. I don't know the right word here, but it just happens from living in a neurotypical world, you know, that some autistic individuals will pick up on, oh, I can't do this in this setting, even if they're not told. And so this happens a lot at school where kids will look drastically different at school than home. And I've had conversations with parents that I work with is sometimes your kid is going to need decompression time driving home from school or if they get off the bus, allowing them to have that time and space because they've been holding it together all day long. They've been trying to fit in. And I want you to take a moment and think about a situation where you felt really uncomfortable and you were trying to fit in. Maybe you went to your partner's work event and you're in a group that maybe aren't your quote unquote people and you are trying so hard to fit in. You are having to put so much energy and effort into this. That is what social masking is like, where an autistic individual is having to work so hard to fit into that norm or fit into that group. And it is freaking exhausting if you have to do that all the time. So that is another concern with ABA therapy is that we're simply teaching social masking. And I think that is problematic. We aren't making the kid less autistic. We simply are teaching them that they aren't accepted. And so this is the other thing with ABA therapy that the autistic community says is we're trying to raise acceptance here. Why does it matter if someone has to have a fidget with them in order to self-regulate themselves? Why are we judging that? Well, we're judging it because it doesn't fit into our neurotypical standards. And instead of making autistic kids or really any neurodivergent kids fit into a box, what we need to do is we need to build a bigger box so more people are accepted. With ABA teaching social masking and trying to make your child less autistic, which when ABA was really up and coming, that was the goal of it. And I will say that is not the goal of any autism therapy or support services now. It really is to help understand how your child's brain works and it is to help improve quality of life. For example, we might teach a skill like toothbrushing and break it down into steps so it's easier for your child to be able to brush their own teeth and gain independent skills. But we're not saying you have to do it in a certain way or you have to make eye contact with yourself in the mirror. Maybe that's really uncomfortable for the autistic individual. It's like, are they doing the skill? And that's where we're really focused now. And so because there's such this emphasis on reducing autistic behaviors, that by default reduces acceptance. And we're trying to shift that now. So let's talk about now what we want to do instead, because I don't want this episode to feel doom and gloom where you're like, oh, great. Like either my child's in ABA therapy and you're telling me all these horrible things about it. Or I'm considering it, but I have no other resources. And this happens quite a lot, you know, especially in certain rural communities, for example, or places there aren't a lot of access to services or there's really long wait lists. I do want to tell you, though, in general, the pandemic had some positives. And I'm laughing because I know how miserable we all were. But one of those is the ability to do telehealth. So you can see someone in your state or there were also moves. I'm part of what's called SIPAC. It's 35 states so far, more are being added, have come together and saying, if you have a clinical license in one of these states as a psychologist, what that means is you can practice in the other one. So I do want to say that 
even if you seem to be in an area where there's less services, you might have access to other services through telehealth and you don't have that burden of having to drive. And you might be going, how is my child going to do telehealth services? I will say, number one, it helps services to be really naturalistic. So I will do parent coaching using an early intervention model for very young children where we're working on skills naturalistically. And I'm able to watch their interactions and coach the parent. Additionally, it might be just you as the parent sitting down with the therapist and learning the skills and then disseminating them or implementing them at home. So there's lots of different options. So number one is we as a whole need to shift expectations. We need to shift expectations away from this idea that therapy or support services should make your child less autistic. That is just how your child's brain is wired. And it doesn't make sense to focus on that. And again, we need to make the box bigger and be more accepting. Let me actually give you an example of this. Real quick, just a brief interruption, because I want you to know you don't have to navigate this journey alone. If you're in a place where you have concerns about your child's development, you've been on the search for a therapist that provides evidence-based neurodiversity affirming care, or you're needing more support as a parent, the whole family approach may be a good fit for you. Autism doesn't just impact your child's life, so you deserve care that works for your child and your whole family. Head to the link in the show notes to schedule a complimentary call where we can chat about your unique circumstances. We can help you decide if Dr. Tay concierge clinical care would be a good fit for your family, and if not, we will provide you resources for your next best steps. Know you are supported here and we cannot wait to chat. So head to the show notes to schedule your free consult call today. If you are a person of color, that would be the equivalent of being like, you have to be less of a person of color. And yes, historically, we know there were a lot of horrible things that happened and we have so much progress still to go in this regard. But you're always going to be a person of color, even if you adapt behaviors that are quote unquote, more consistent with the white community, you're still a person of color. The way you are biologically made, the way you are born, that is part of your identity. And that's why I use that example is it is an identity, just like being autistic is an identity as well. Your child's brain is wired in a certain way, and we just need to be more accepting of that. So not only do we need to be more accepting and drop expectations around what therapy can do, as a parent, you also have to shift your expectations as well. That maybe the life you expected isn't exactly what's going to happen. But if you stay stuck in that rumination cycle of being like, my kid is different, my kid is different, I'm going to tell you, you're going to miss all the beautiful things that your child has to offer. And that is exactly in line with neurodiversity is Autism isn't just a list of deficits. And I've talked about this before on the podcast. Yes, from a diagnostic perspective, that's that's how we're looking at it. But after you get that diagnosis, we need to shift to this strengths-based approach and just understanding your child holistically. And so if you're so focused on how they're deviating from neurotypical standards, you could be missing the beautiful ways in which they deviate from neurotypical standards. There is so much brilliance in our world, and that is because brains think differently. And so learning to truly understand how your child's brain thinks is going to be important. Another element of this is accepting various forms of communication. So traditionally with ABA, we really are reinforcing eye contact. 
And some individuals don't like making eye contact, but there's so many different ways of communicating. And why does that need to be there? Well, that needs to be there, eye contact meaning, because that's our neurotypical standard. But why can't we be accepting that if someone is getting their point across or that they have other ways of communicating, why can't we be accepting of that? And some of that as well is things like AAC devices or accepting your child writing something down or pointing to something versus verbally saying it. There's many different ways your child can communicate. Doing early intervention, we're often looking for some of these communication bids. And I'm going to get into another episode where I kind of break down ways that you can make early intervention very naturalistic. But one example of this is a lot of times I find parents are missing communication bids for their children because, again, they're expecting the neurotypical standard of the child saying more. And the child could be asking for more. We're missing all these bids. And then the child goes into this meltdown because the child is so frustrated. And so then if we use ABA's traditional approach and say, ignore that tantrum, all of a sudden, this all started because your child was trying to tell you they wanted more of something. And how invalidating, again, is that, that we miss their communication. That is on us. That is our fault, honestly. And I don't mean to make it sound like you're doing anything wrong. Honestly, it's about learning. But if we just simplify it down, take the emotion out of it in some ways, it is your fault. You missed the communication bit from your child. And now they're melting down. And now we're going to punish them for melting down when we just needed to shift some expectations here. And so I think that becomes important. Additionally, integration of sensory supports. Maybe headphones are needed. Maybe fidgets are needed. Maybe a sensory swing is needed. Like different types of supports and allowing stimming behavior too because that's regulatory in nature. And so we really want to pay attention to those sensory needs as well as emotion dysregulation and realizing that autistic children need more support. By ignoring their tantrum, we actually aren't teaching them any skills in that moment to be able to help them get through that. We're just teaching them that it's not accepted. And so integrating these sensory supports become really important. The last piece that I want to mention, I stated this earlier, but behaviors equals communication. Your child's behaviors are trying to tell you something. And again, they might not fit the neurotypical standard. And it might feel like, well, my child's just trying to defy me or my child never made any early bids and now is melting down, it's like, no, that's trying to tell something. A meltdown simply could be saying, hey, I'm really frustrated right now. You miss all of my attempts to engage you and I'm not getting what I want. If you don't get what you want, you're frustrated, right? But if you are neurotypical, you might have ways of expressing that before the meltdown happens. Or even if you're not neurotypical, you might have a skill set to be able to know how to communicate those needs. Well, we need to teach those to autistic children. We need to help support them through this journey. So that was a lot, right? Y'all, I jam-packed quite a bit into this episode. So let's take a step back for a moment because it is a lot. I share this because I want you to understand that you as a parent need to make an informed decision. This is not to point any fingers. This is not to say you're doing something wrong. It is simply to provide you education. And so 
here's the thing. At the end of this episode, the last little bit I just went through, I talked about different ways that you can support your child. So even if your child is in ABA therapy, start having these conversations with the child's provider and being like, how can we start to integrate a more neurodiversity affirming approach? And also realizing that you have choices too. And I think sometimes there is a scare tactic used with ABA where it's like, well, your child needs early intervention and it's super important and you don't want to miss the window. One, it's not giving you all the information. Two, you're making a decision based out of fear. Three, it's not taking into account even the whole family system and what you need. Do you have the capacity to do intensive services? We also need to think about your kid just needs to be a kid. Is there time for your kid to be a kid or are they in an intervention all the time? And what we also know from research more recently is, yes, we do know the earlier we can start support services, the better. That is true. And what we also know is it's never too late. Your child can make progress and can grow. And we also know that a total of 25 hours is what a child needs to progress. And you're going to hear that number and be like, oh my gosh, that's so much. It's not saying your child needs 25 hours of ABA therapy or any early intensive therapy. What it's saying, you can work on skills and supporting them naturalistically. It might be your child's taking breaks on a sensory swing. That is intervention, so to speak. That contributes to this. Your child might be in a daycare or preschool setting or early education or elementary school. Those are hours. That Those are ways that they're working on skills. Speech therapy, occupational therapy, feeding therapy, all these different types of therapy also contribute to this. And then also, if ideally, I've talked about this before, is as the parent, you are learning these skills so you can embed them in natural everyday activities. And that is really what I teach parents how to do, is how they can support their child's development and help promote their skills and their quality of life through everyday activities. So it's not this burden on the family system as or as much of a burden. There still is a burden, if I'm being completely honest. And it allows your child to be a kid. And one of the main things is following their interests. The more you can follow their interests, the more you're going to get them engaged, which actually is a point I didn't even make in this whole episode is a lot of times with ABA, we're forcing an interest on them. And so then we're not getting engagement and that's making it really hard. So one intervention strategy is like, what is your child playing with? How can you enter their world? All right, y'all, I should wrap this up because I could keep going. This was an introduction. And this is the type of conversation, obviously not quite this in depth, only because of timing. Although I have a lot of conversations with parents and after that initial feedback session, I also do a two-week follow-up in my diagnostic assessment services. So maybe they are getting this information, but it also is more of a dialogue versus me talking at parents, but I provide resources and it is just an introduction. And the biggest encouragement that I have is keep learning and in particular, learn from the autistic community. And I absolutely love TikTok and Instagram for that. I know that might sound crazy, but that's the thing. You can get direct access to some amazing, amazing accounts. And then, like I said, I also will link resources in the show notes. All right, y'all, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Thank you so much for being here. I hope this was insightful. And there are more potentially difficult conversations like this to come. 
because I just feel committed to making sure you have all the knowledge as a parent to make the most informed decisions for what is best for your child. All right, y'all, that is a wrap. If you find yourself listening to these episodes and finding value, come join the Evolve Facebook group. Each week I record podcast episodes live in that community and host a Q&A after each episode. You get access to engage with me, plus you can connect with other like-minded autism parents. It is a community designed for you to feel seen, heard, and supported as a parent of an autistic child and introduces you to my whole family approach. The group is linked in the show notes. I will be back next week with another real conversation about all things autism in your family life. Be sure to hit the plus or follow button in the podcast platform that you are listening to right now. This will notify you when the next episode is live. Catch you all later.